Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, one of our most requested topics, and sometimes I feel like I say that about all the topics, but... uh, (laughs) Lots of requests. (laughs) You get lots of requests, but this is one that has stood out, is midwives. Mm -hmm. And so we are going to approach midwives today with by asking the question, what's the difference between a midwife and a doula? Because I got to say, I was not aware of the term doula mm-hmm. um, before a few years ago. Right. I think that you're seeing a, a really big renaissance in both midwives and doulas mm-hmm. being present at childbirth. And it, it kind of gets into this, uh, you know, debate over what childbirth should look like, mm-hmm. Uh in recent years, you hear a lot of things, a lot of terms like the medicalization of childbirth right? and this move towards natural childbirth. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of people recommended to us the movie Business of Being Born, which deals with that debate. And uh, midwives and doulas are two people who tend to show up when there's a natural childbirth versus one that's, um, you know, very medicalized to use that that term of the debate in that, you know, you're you're uh, lying flat on your back in a hospital. Mm-hmm. You have an epidural. The doctor comes in and out. Childbirth is, you know, that kind of childbirth is often uh, stereotyped as very impersonal, mm-hmm. not the way it's supposed to go. That if you want sort of the to connect with your ancient uh, female ancestors in the way they've always given birth, then you contact midwives and doulas. Well, and midwives and doulas may also be present in a hospital birth, but we do associate them more with natural childbirth. And why don't we start out with midwives? Okay. What exactly midwives do? Because there are different categories of midwives, um, some of which are more controversial in the medical world than others. So let's stop at the top tier, start at the top tier with certified nurse midwives. And these are trained as both nurses and midwives, as the name implies. And they have at least a bachelor's degree and pass a certification exam from the National College of Nurse Midwives and receive a state license to practice. So these are the most accepted among the more mainstream medical community. And right. They are often working in hospitals. Yeah. And then going down from there, we have certified midwives, which are a relatively new specialty. And they're also college educated, but not every state is going to license a certified midwife. They aren't certified as nurses and midwives. And then we have certified professional midwives and direct entry midwives. And direct entry midwives are the most controversial because they don't have to have a bachelor's degree and they don't go through a, the more formalized training process. They'll usually apprentice under a midwife, but they're not necessarily um, passing these exams from the American College of Nurse Midwives, and not all states are going to recognize direct entry midwives. And sometimes uh, women are worried about having a direct entry midwife help them with a home birth because if something goes wrong and they take them to the hospital and they're not recognized by the state, that direct direct entry midwife could have chart legal charges pressed against her. Right. And, you know, a direct entry midwife would say, hey, it's not that I am not trained. It's not that I don't have a bachelor's degree. I am trained in the way that all midwives have been trained for centuries. Mm-hmm. You know, this was um, a, a, a art that was passed down from woman to woman in the village because, you know, there were no doctors for a long time. And so if you were going to deliver a baby, you would call the local woman who knew how to do this. And direct entry midwives say they're sort of carrying on that tradition uh, and they don't need that 
you know, rigid medical training. Because again, there's this debate over whether, you know, childbirth is something that a woman's body just knows how to do and she mm-hmm. just needs this assistant there or when something goes wrong, which is what the medical community would say, can you have a doctor there in two minutes to save the baby or save the mother? Right, because the doctors argue that if something goes wrong, it goes wrong very quickly and very suddenly. And even though with this idea of uh, ancient midwifery that women are just innately given these capabilities to know what to do to help in a crisis, doctors aren't so sure. But let's talk a little bit about where um, this began in the U.S. So it started in the States with a woman named Mary Breckenridge. She wanted to bring better health care to people living in the remote Appalachian Mountains. So she goes over to Europe, taking some notes. She notices how well these British nurse midwives are assisting women who are going through labor. So she starts the Frontier Nursing Service in rural Kentucky, and it's the first real nurse midwifery program in the country. And that's right. We should note that in Europe, it's still pretty common to have a midwife, a doula. It's not really even a distinction that people have to make. So this is sort of a uniquely American question we're asking because, while yes, Mary Breckenridge is establishing midwife programs in rural areas, the people in the more urban areas are electing around this time to start going to doctors because doctors are putting out the the note that, you know, they've got the latest medical advances. They've got, you know, the ways to save you in childbirth if something goes wrong. So it's really, it, it starts a big class divide in that the, the poor rural people are going to midwives and mm-hmm. the people who have more means are going to doctors. So then in 1976... Big hi- turning point. Big turning point. A hippie... We'll just go ahead and call her a hippie because she's yes, a hippie, she's clearly. A, hippie. a hippie named Ina Mae Gaskin writes this book called Spiritual Midwifery that becomes the Midwives Bible. And not just midwives, it gets spread around to women of the time and everyone's like, yes, Ina Mae has the answer. Ina Mae has the answers because as you can imagine, as part of the hippie movement, Ina Mae is all about home birth Mm -hmm. and she or bus birth or bus birth. Right. Because she and her husband and uh, a bunch of other hippies get together in a bus in the sixties. This is how all great stories begin. And they go across the country and a lot of the women on the bus are preggers. (laughs) And, you know, at some point those babies got to come out and hence all these home slash bus bus births begin happening and Ina Mae Gaskin becomes kind of like this uh, default midwife. Yeah. And, you know, it was sort of maybe the right time for in her life for that to happen because she'd had a really traumatic hospital birth a few years before. So she kind of finds her calling and she writes this book about how, you know, you don't need to go to the hospital. You can just have your baby in the back of the bus. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing and simplifying, <laughs> of course, but... Um, she becomes renowned for starting this commune called The Farm, mm-hmm. where women still to this day can go to um, work with midwives trained by Ina Mae Gaskin to have these really natural, beautiful uh, births. Right. And uh, just just to go back to, to the bus situation for a second. And by the way, the bus was referred to as the caravan, this trip that they were all on. There were 11 babies that were born on the bus. And Gaskin writes in Spiritual Midwifery, when each birth took place, we all parked in a sort of protective formation around the bus in which the birth would take place. And everyone waited for the baby's first cry. So you can kind of get hints of where that spiritual aspect yeah. of uh, the, the title 
comes from. But this is really sad, actually. The, uh, the tenth birth, that of her own child, ended in death um, of her two-month premature son. But that only reinvigorated Ina's quest to improve women's home birth experiences and become a better midwife. Right. So people start passing this book around in the 70s. Um, it's been, you know, just the de facto thing that you do to go to the hospital, see the doctor, have your baby. You know, the guy waits in the waiting room. Um, and Ina May is presenting this very radical idea for our country that you don't have to do that anymore. Like we said, you know, it's kind of very American that this is still um, a divide, whereas in Europe it's it's not. In other places it's not just because, you know, there may not be a, a medical facility to go to. But anyway, this book gets passed around in tons of women. There's really a huge resurgence in the late 70s, early 80s. Huge new interest in midwives. And to give you an idea of the size of growth in the midwife practice, it went from around 20,000 births, midwife attended births in the U.S. in 1975 to almost 240,000 in 96. And I'm sure that number has only gone up. That still represents only about 6% of the country's total births attended by midwives. But nevertheless, like we said, it's still, there's, there's been a resurgence in the home birth movement and along with that, the use of midwives. And Gaskin, I think we should note, is credited with the development and growing use of something called the Gaskin Maneuver, mm-hmm. which is an approach to dealing with um, a complication, a birthing complication known as shoulder dystocia, in which a baby's shoulder becomes stuck in a laboring woman's birthing canal. And so she figured out a way to, to get the baby out safely. And while the American Congress of Obstetrics and Gynecologists are very much against midwife-assisted home births for the reasons that we talked about earlier, just due to maternal safety. There are studies that indicate that women need fewer um, medications. Obviously, there are fewer C-sections that are involved. Uh, there's a study in the Journal of American Public Health Association that found that only 2% of women who gave birth at home experienced interventions such as forceps, vacuum extractors or C-sections, while 26% of those giving birth in hospitals encountered these outcomes. Right. So it all depends on what your priorities are. You know, you hear a lot of people talking about making a birth plan and, you know, your birth goals and how you want just a birth to come out. And for a lot of women, this return to natural childbirth is really important. And those kind of statistics really, uh, you know, speak to the importance to these women of, of having a midwife present, someone who can help you use your body to deliver the baby naturally as opposed to, you know, Maybe a doctor who wants to just get out of there and hurry it along and, and stuff like that. Right. But we haven't said a single word, Molly, about the doulas. Well, let's talk about them. Let's talk about doula. Not surprisingly, this is a Greek word. Doula sounds very Greek. Sounds Greek to me. It's a du- Greek word that is usually translated as female servant. And doulas are pretty distinct from midwives. They're not actually going to be down there catching the baby, doing mm-hmm. any Gaskin maneuvers or yeah. anything like that. But uh, as we'll get to in a second, they, they will interact with the doctor if there's one in the <laughs> hospital. Doulas, though, are pretty much there to make the mother as comfortable as possible and help the birthing process along in terms of positioning the mother or uh, getting her to do calming breathing exercises, things like that. Kind of like a birthing coach. Yeah. Krista and I have both discussed how having just a doula for real life would be pretty awesome. Yes. Like around 3 p.m. when you're getting stressed, someone just comes up and he's like, Kristen, just breathe. Hey, do you need a, do you need a neck massage? Yeah, doula. Do you need I a do. cool cloth on your forehead? Yeah, doula, that's great. I mean, I would call the, my doula by 
his or her first name. Because yeah. I, I also would not gender discriminate. I, I could have a male doula. There are a handful of doulas out there, despite the translation usually having female in the, mm-hmm. in the translation. You mean there are uh, some male doulas out yes, there? Yes, they're small. Small group, but they are out there. I'm surprised it hasn't been made into a comedy starring Vince Vaughn. Oh, Kristen, your dreams are about to come true because there is a movie in production. I don't know if it's in production Shut yet. Up. It's in it's in pre-production. It's a comedy starring Vince Vaughn about a male doula. Okay, see, our, wow. Okay, great. And like midwives, doulas have become more popular in recent years, along with the whole home birth. Natural birth. Natural birth movement. But a lot of times they are not going to have any type of certified training. And they are by no means recognized by the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists or the American Medical Association. Because, like we said, they're really there just to make the mother more comfortable. And a lot of times they're used by more affluent couples because they're sort of like a little bonus. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of interesting because in uh, rural areas that might not have access to gynecologists who can or hospitals where women can go, they might not be able to afford it. Midwives will step in, but doulas are kind of on the flip side of this where where they they cost extra. Yeah, and you know, despite the fact that there are a lot of the same benefits of using a doula as there are using a midwife, there they may not be covered by insurance whereas you may be able to get a midwife assisted birth covered by your insurance. Mm-hmm. So um, a, a doula can cost anywhere from $300 to $1,000. And um, so, yeah, they are seen as sort of a luxury extra item, um, although there are programs in some cities to provide low-cost doulas to low-income women. Some doulas will barter with you. Um, so it's it, they're only used at about 1% of births, which is kind of surprising when you hear all of the benefits which a doula can provide. Statistically, the cesarean rate is reduced by half. The need for an epidural is 60% less, and labor time is 25% shorter for women who are using doulas. So... Might be worth the extra cost. Yeah. And also there's been a study that shows that women who use doulas are more affectionate with their babies after Mm -hmm. the birthing process. They're more nurturing. Um, The doula can help a a new mother breastfeed. Mm -hmm. And you can also hire a postpartum doula to help you make that transition to being a new mother in your own home. They can run errands. They can babysit your older children. They can cook meals. And those doulas are usually paid on an hourly rate. Right. And uh, typically doulas will either specialize in labor or Postpartum, mm-hmm. one or the other. But if you decide to have a baby in a hospital and you want to bring along your doula, get ready for a doula. <laughs> Ooh, a I dual, like that. A doula. Uh, doula. Yeah, there are a lot of stories out there, and maybe the New York Times was just turning, making a mountain out of a molehill. But doulas don't seem to get along very well with nurses and doctors. Well, you know, I think some, for the same reason that midwives don't always get the the loving support they need from doctors. It's just, you know, it's an extra person in the room. Mm-hmm. It's from a doctor's perspective that could be annoying. But, yeah, the New York Times also paints a picture of some doulas who get kind of in the doctor's faces or right. like, this woman needs some help and you better help her. Well, also, since they're so focused on keeping the childbirth as natural as possible, they might argue with a doctor about doing something like a C-section mm-hmm. or an epidural. They might get in the nurse's way, just trying to keep the mother, uh, you know, as, as all natural as possible. And there were anecdotes of some mothers getting really frustrated with their doula for not kind of stepping back and letting the more medical professionals take over. Mm-hmm. But again, 
It might have been, you know, that's that's a, a handful of anecdotes. Yeah. And, you know, it's everyone's experience is going to be different. Probably not everyone wants a doula or a midwife, but some people really do. And the hospitals and other birthing facilities are kind of having a hard time kind of figuring out what everyone is going to do in these kind of situations. A lot of states are looking at laws that would assign sort of a midwife to a doctor. So the midwife could be doing a birth. And if something goes wrong, the doctor mm-hmm. has to come in. Doctors don't love this idea because then they've got to just basically come in and take over someone's set of problems. They've right. met this woman. So it's it's very sticky politically. And, you know, the the options over what you can do when you have a kid, um, they don't seem to be going away in terms of this natural versus hospital or and any it, of those Well, because there also hasn't been any conclusive research saying that, Doctors are better than midwives at delivering. You know, we've tossed out these studies saying that um, there are fewer incidences of uh, cesareans and complications and um, uh, needs for epidurals with midwife-assisted and doula-assisted births. But that might also have to do with the fact that women who are having um, children at home might be going into it a little bit healthier mm-hmm. than women who uh, would know beforehand that they would need to be in a hospital in case of risks. Right. You, midwives try to stay with low risk pregnancies, which means a woman who is between 18 and 34, who's had a healthy pregnancy, who doesn't have, you know, multiple fetuses, who, you know, it should be a routine birth. And that's the argument these midwives make is that for a routine birth, they can handle it. They right. don't need the doctor. And so it's a question of when does that low risk pregnancy become a high risk one? Because the doctors are saying in a blink of an eye, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. And that's why you need to have a doctor there. So we can't answer the question, but uh, I bet plenty of listeners out there have had babies, A, and have may or may not have used a doula and or a midwife. And so, may have doulas, midwives out there, too. Yeah, exactly. So if you have any, any connection, any experience with this, we would love to hear from you and get your thoughts. You can send it over to our email address at momstuffathowstuffworks.com, or we'd love for you to share over on Facebook and Twitter. And I have an email here from Angela, and it's about the Vitamins podcast. And she had two quick tips that she wanted to share. Uh, she writes, I donate platelets on a regular basis because my blood type is compatible with most people in need of them. And when I first started giving blood, I noticed I got very weak and did not feel well for the rest of the day after the donation. The nurses gave me Tums for the calcium at the beginning throughout the donation, but I was still noticeably weak the rest of the day. Once I began taking a woman's multivitamin, though, these weaknesses all but disappeared, and I can now give higher amounts of platelets on a regular basis. While multivitamins are not always the best way for your body to absorb all the nutrients, they work for me because of the increased stress my system goes through during the donation. And her second tidbit is that if you are looking into taking a multivitamin, uh, note that it ha- may have caffeine in it, because... Hmm. Angela took one and got a little jumpy and woozy. I didn't know that. Uh, well, I've got one here from Hannah, and this is in response to our podcast on abortion. And she writes that I think you did a great job of discussing the topic neutrally and with minimum gore, but hearing all the procedures described made me sick to my stomach. I was determined to tough it out, but did end up doubled over holding my stomach by the end of the last description. As negative as this might sound, I don't mean it as a criticism. Actually, if more young women heard these descriptions in their high school sex ed, 
I'm willing to bet that teen use of condoms would go way up. In my sex ed class, we learned about all the places you can go for abortion resources, but we never learned about abortions themselves. I think a lot of girls in their teens feel that if they get pregnant, they can just have an abortion, but maybe if the information was more widely available, they might not take that option so lightly because the procedure sounds extremely unpleasant under any circumstance. And I do want to concur in my, in my high school, like sex ed kind of didn't exist and we really didn't even talk about abortion, much less what was involved in it. So I think it would be important for people to know a little bit more about it. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to A, email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. B, Twitter us at momstuffpodcast and C, like us on Facebook and leave a comment. And you can always read our blog during the week. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?